Welcome to episode 46, Ride the Fire Eagle Danger Day. Fire Eagle. Fire Eagle. Woo! I'm your host, Josh Owens. And I'm Adam Stokoviak, the Web 2.0 show profiles the awesomest people on the net, building the coolest stuff ever, also known as Fire Eagle. So this is the episode about Fire Eagle. And for those who don't know about the naming, if you're not a Zay Frank fan, uh, the name for the product did actually come from Zay Frank, Ride the Fire Eagle Danger Day. Just a, an awesome bit of trivia there. They, uh, they decided to name the product Fire Eagle. So Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yes, indeed. This is part of our Web 2.0 Expo series of podcasts. We, uh, we recorded this while we were out in San Francisco. Um, Yahoo had a booth there, and uh, the darling at the time was uh, Fire Eagle, and they had demos going on at all times of the day, and they had Fire Eagle developers there, and uh, we were able to uh, throw on our ninja costumes and, and go down and abduct him. We hijacked Simon. Yeah, we did. We kidnapped him. He was kind of nervous, too. You could tell in the, in the audio in the episode, but Simon was a little bit nervous about the interview, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's like, you know, he's not the normal guy you, you kind of interview, you know. He's kind of like the, the coder you squirrel away in the back room somewhere. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't have that coder uh, you squirrel away in the back room kind of looked. I mean, he seemed kind of like a, a savvy kind of guy. Yeah, he looked like maybe he was like a rock climber or something. He's, yeah, yeah he's it like did. Yeah, guy. exactly. Like a fitness trainer or something. Yeah, it just just seemed seemed a little jittery. Maybe he just had too much coffee. Maybe that was it, dude. We caught him like, you know, post like venti, you know, triple shot, <laughs> caramel <laughs> macchiato, brevet, yeah. whatever it is you order. <laughs> yeah, caramel macchiato with brevet. If you're a Starbucks fan, I drink uh, either a venti. No one cares. No one cares. No, oh, fine. No one cares. Loser. I- I'll, I'll post in the show notes. <laughs> nice. Do they, do they have a way to link to like the exact drink as you order it? That's horrible. I don't know. That would be cool, though. <laughs> That'd be good. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Fire Eagle. Very cool product. As you guys will hear, um, it's still in very limited beta, and they're very slow about getting the beta invites out. Hopefully, they'll lift that restriction soon. Um, you know, I just got my invite of the day. Yeah, well, finally, I mean, we, we had invites because we we snagged a bunch while we were at the expo. They had little cards, but uh, yeah, like if you're requesting an invite, they're really slow about getting back to you. There were mid cards. The zoo card or. Yeah, moo cards. Moo cards. Yeah, those were those were cool. Yeah, yeah, because each one I'm had sure a that, little uh, code on the back. That was kind of a cool idea. Yeah. <clears throat> so real simple, smart. There you go. Yeah. Well, I I think with the uh, with the iPhone interface that's or the new the new iPhone 2.0 that's coming out. Uh, you know, as I mentioned in the conversation, I think when we see something come out on the iPhone or other phones that easily allow you to update Fire Eagle. You know, it's kind of like game over for that kind of service. Oh, I agree, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to hit big. So I think Fire Eagle, though, for us developers and us, you know, really, you know, edge cases or, you know, fanatics about technology will, will hear Fire Eagle. But 
your everyday consumer is not going to hear fire. It's probably going to be behind the scenes. It's going to become transparent to the user. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you start to see things, though, like Bright Kite, um, you know, hooks into Fire Eagle. It's, it's got a lot of its own location-based stuff, but it can accept updates from Fire Eagle. Right. Um, and it ing- integrates with Twitter and has some, you know, photo location stuff. And it's just a lot of interesting stuff. And I, I think, you know, as you see Fire Eagle open up, you're going to see more interesting services come out of it. For sure, yeah. I agree. Yep. So come on uh, July 11th, 3G, we want you badly. Yeah. SDK, build an app, location-based. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if I'm going to go the first day and go get the 3G phone. Wow. Ah. You know, I'm like a hardcore Apple fanboy, but, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean... I plopped down 600 bucks for my first phone, and it'll be a year old, you know, like tomorrow or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, spend two and get the get the 8 gig. I, you know what? I have an 8 gig right I got now. an 8 gig. I don't want to get another 8 gig. If I get another one, I want the 16 gig. Crazy. I don't even use the full 8 gigs, though, so I don't even really care. I do. That's fine for me. Kids. Kids in their movies. <laughs> I guess. That's what my iPhone is. It's just, it's a movie holder for the children. <laughs> so this uh, this is one of our first episodes in a little while without a sponsor. Indeed. If this audio actually goes live, uh, it should be known that, you know, we are open to sponsorships. One of the things I think you should do is if you like our content and you want to see the Web 2.0 show continue, definitely support us. Shoot us a line. You know, we're, we're open to talk about sponsorship options, so... Web2Oshow at gmail.com. And as always, we must pimp the Twitter. Pimp because the Twitter. I, I, yeah, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't even know how many followers we have at this point, but it's not nearly enough. Come on, people. No, it's I know, not. No, I know we have way more listeners, and I know they're out there on Twitter. So come on. It's just so awesome. You could be completely up to the date. You know, to in in all honesty, though, we should do a lot more updating. We probably should. We probably we probably should. should. Yeah, we haven't done anything for thirteen days when we released the last episode. Yeah, well, I think the the best thing probably is to follow us directly uh, at uh, Adam Stack. That's A D A M S T A C, or at Josh Owens. Follow us directly to get like day to day updates on what we're doing specifically, but like for Web Two show stuff. Follow up 2.0 show, and you know, usually when we're releasing audio or cutting up audio or heading out of town to you know to go to an expo or to a conference, then you know that's when we'll be active. Indeed, but we do try to talk about stuff like you know we should be twittering that we're recording the intro for this. So that's true. One thing I do want to mention: uh, Adam and I are you know a- along with trying to. Uh, get sponsorships to continue our great content and bring you great interviews. We think we do a great job on site. Um, so we do enjoy traveling to these events and, and interviewing, uh, these really intelligent people that are building awesome things. Um, besides that, our goal is to try to produce something and put it out there every two weeks for you guys to listen to. I know we've been very sporadic in the past, um, but now, you know, there's there's two of us that can handle audio production, and uh, we're both trying to share in the show notes. So it's, uh, I, I think we've 
trying to equalize things out a little bit, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll be on a regular recording schedule at this point. Yeah, regular production schedule. Yeah, on that note too, on the regular production schedule, we do have a small queue of audio lined up to go out. So actually, we have audio cut, edited, and ready to go, except for current intro. So we're already planning the next episode to go out, and really, it's just about us taking the time to sit down, do these, uh, do these intros, and you know maybe pay some bills at the same time, and cut it up, and put it out. So we are definitely planning to be more in line with every two weeks. Yep. And if you're somehow interested in helping us pay those bills, we are available for hire. Kittenhandcrafted.com. Soon to be a nice website out there. Soon to be. We Soon are... Uh, to be. We have a lot of a lot of things going on, though, so... Um, definitely... Definitely have something fun and exciting coming out there, so if you have a project that you want to... Do some awesome work on. Give Josh or me a shout. We'll talk. And uh, there you go. Yeah. And if you're if you're working on something cool or getting ready to release something cool, definitely drop us a line about that too. Webtoolshow@gmail.com. Yeah. For sure. Some recent things uh, actually we got some emails about was was two uh, two apps. One was Kindling, um, which is uh, sort of. What is it? It's it's for like idea collaboration for just anybody in your organization to go to this web app, log in for your company. Yeah, it's uh, almost like dig for ideas in your internally. company. Yeah, and it's a really really good. I think it's a really good idea for some of those some of those companies who might have just you know people above them that just don't take on new ideas well at all. And you know this is a way to sort of get a, a crowd with freaking pitchforks and knives hunting down the bosses to say, we want these new things changed. We want these fixes in place, and here's our army to say this is the way it should be done. Right. And just to vote it up. I mean, you know, that's some far-fetched shit, but, um, you know, I, that, kindling, kindling was one of them, and user voice. And I actually think both web apps are pretty good, but I, I shot, uh, I forget the guy's uh, name right now, but he follows me. I think his name's Dan... Um, the leader of user voice, but he emailed me about it and said, Hey, you're, you're excited about kindling. Uh, maybe you can get excited about user voice. And I, I'd mentioned to him that user voice, uh, it's UserVoice.com, by the way, that the homepage was the stopper for me because the homepage was just so loud and so aesthetically unfocused and they didn't really sell themselves right away. I kind of got what they were doing, but as soon as I went to killings, uh, homepage, the video was right, right there, ready to, inviting me to click the button and just learn more about it. And the, the video was short enough that it was like under two minutes, and it was right to the point, getting to all the selling points of the app. So, I mean, I think if you're going to put out a new service out there, um, you know, focus on your homepage and let a user know exactly who you are right away before they go away. Yeah, for sure. Which is what I did. So. Yeah. And one, one thing to mention, um, you know, we've heard some comments about us being – Rails fanboys or people joking True. about us being a Rails podcast. Um, that's what we work with on a daily basis, and of course we're in touch with that community. Um, but just some interesting facts. Um, Yahoo is primarily a PHP shop, and they're the backers behind Fire Eagle. And honestly, going into the interview, we had no idea that they were actually using Rails for this. Nope. 
that was kind of a shocking thing that came out of the interview that we had no idea about. Um, another interesting tidbit, the last guys we interviewed, uh, GitHub, they use Rails to build it, but um, I think Ruby is like the third or fourth most prevalent language on GitHub. Um, so there's there's definitely like JavaScript and uh, a couple other languages, dynamic languages, that are that are beating out Ruby as far as the number of repositories they have. So yeah, <clears throat> it's definitely interesting to note that that while we love Ruby and we love Rails, uh, you know, we're trying not to be just fanboys, and uh, we're definitely going to try to interview people that are, you know, outside of. We're we're definitely open to interviewing anyone that has a cool product. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, well said, Josh. Well said. All right. And without further ado, here is Simon to tell us about Ride the Fire Eagle Danger Day. So, we're here at the Web 2.0 Expo with Scott King. Simon. Oh, Sorry. Simon. Simon. Scott. Look the last guy we interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> we're here with Simon King from, uh, I guess you work on the Fire Eagle Project. Um, which is under Yahoo, uh, did Brickhouse? Brickhouse Group. Okay. Tell us a little bit about Brickhouse and then also what, what Fire Eagle is. Um, Brickhouse is now a part of the advanced, de- advanced Development Department at Yahoo or Advanced Products Group. Um, and Brickhouse's mission is to sort of act like a startup within Yahoo, to take new ideas and try to quickly get them to a sort of public-facing stage um, you know, try often, fail sometimes, hopefully not too often, um, but to be able to move more quickly than Yahoo as a whole and to try out new technologies within Yahoo. Yeah, I would say with uh, Fire Eagle, you guys look like you're, you're definitely cutting edge there with OAuth and uh, some, of the, some of the other technologies you're using. And with Rails, which is a new thing for Yahoo. Um, awesome. And <laughs> did cause some uh, growing pains or hiccups along the way. Um, so uh, I guess um, tell us what Fire Eagle is and what it does, and uh, go from there. Um, Fire Eagle is a location sharing platform. Allows users to grant access to a variety of applications that can update and query their location. So there's sort of two aspects to that. There's a uh, user-facing side. There's a website where user users authorize applications and control those privacy settings. And then there's a set of APIs which the applications use to submit location updates and query the user's current location. Um, it stores only the at-the-moment location or the last location we have for each user. And a user can choose a variety of uh, location granularities to sort of mask their location based on privacy concerns or how much they trust a given application. They can choose to expose their exact location or perhaps only expose a, a postal code or a neighborhood or a city or all the way up to a country, though I don't know actually what value that really has. <laughs> but place to have that feature. <laughs> right. And, and the privacy stuff is all handled through OAuth? Um, the, the access control, the, yeah, the uh, access control to the location is all handled through OAuth. There's a, each OAuth access token is tied to a privacy level of location granularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but OAuth is the authentication scheme allowing applications access to the to the user's location. So uh, developing against OAuth, was that something that was, uh, I guess, probably a little painful for you since it's something that's fairly new? I mean, they, they just finalized the, 
the version 1.0 of that, right? Right. While we were yeah, choosing, or while we were actually implementing using it, the, the spec was being finalized. Um, so some of that was, was painful. Um, the server-side stuff actually was not so painful. There are a number of good uh, Ruby gems out there. Or I guess one in particular that we use, though I can't remember which. Um, but that that wasn't that bad. Although testing it was also hard because all the the clients were also in development, so you never knew when something didn't work out and if it was your client code or our server code that that wasn't working well. But there's there's actually a pretty active OAuth developer community, and their their libraries for a number of languages now. Um, and so it's not it's not so bad. It's uh, as a new developer coming into it, there are, I think some conceptual hurdles. Just takes a a little while to figure out what you need to do. Um, but I think there's enough code out there now that even if you want to do something else, like I I hacked together a Flash one based on existing JavaScript code that wasn't too bad, and managed to get a, a Java micro edition uh, J2ME thing together sort of based on the existing Java code that was painful but that's just good J2ME is a hassle <laughs> rather than <laughs> existing Java code wasn't good um, so <clears throat> what what kind of things like I think right now it's it's a real small community and there's only a couple applications that are actually utilizing it what are you guys hoping may come from releasing this out there what kind of tools do you want to see come of this um, I guess there, there are two sides of that question. There's what I want to see, and then I think what's valuable to users. Um, I'll start with me. Um, I got into this, actually, because I, I did a lot of, and still do, a fair amount of mobile development. Um, and location on mobile devices and development in general is a hassle. Um, and Fire Eagle was a way for me to write a single location updater say in native code in Symbian C++ and then write more lightweight applications in Java or even web-based apps that could run on the phone that would have access to uh, the location which the phone hardware only uh, native apps have access to you know say the cell ID the which we can drive location from so for me it was actually a way to simplify development you you write a location provider once and then you can write lots of applications that consume location. Um, from the user side, there are, I think there are a couple things, a couple applications we need to see. There are easy location updaters. I think ideally I would never have to uh, explicitly update my location. I would have something that you know, does Wi-Fi triangulation when I turn on my laptop, something else that runs on my phone and occasionally pings the Fire Eagle servers, and all I would have to worry about is either turning those off or hiding myself on the Fire Eagle website when I don't want to be seen. But I'd never have to actually have to think, oh, I've moved, I need to tell Fire Eagle my current location. Um, so I think for the system to be really successful, there are a lot of uh, automatic updaters will, will help that a lot. On the location-consuming side, I have some ideas, but I'm hoping that people will produce things that I've never thought of. I mean, there are, there are a bunch of what's near me now things, um, you know, cheap gas prices or burritos near where I am. There are a lot of social things, uh, fireball, um, a dodgeball-like thing, or lots of friend finders who's around me now. Um, I think there are a lot of travel things. We have uh, some Doppler integration at the moment, so 
it'll update your location based on your Doppler travel schedule. But I think that would also be cool if I land in a new, at a new airport. It could say, oh, did you know your buddy was here yesterday or somebody you know happens to be in the airport right now. Yeah, that would, that um, would definitely be cool. I think there are a lot of... Uh, kind of location-based alerts or messaging things that would be cool. I could say, you know, next time I'm within 100 meters of a supermarket, remind me to buy milk or any of those things. There, I think there are a lot of things that could be done with it. Hmm, interesting. So you could actually integrate with, like, remember the milk, and then it would ping you when you get near the, the market. That's kind of crazy. The, the, that one is actually a little farther out. That's The API, there would be a lot of work for that application to do yeah yeah actually no that would be really crazy because we we actually wrote an application um for rails rumble that uh you can input recipes and it you build a weekly planner and then it makes a grocery list for you automatically so that'd be really awesome like you get near the grocery store and it's like hey here's your grocery list you should go in there (laughs) yeah be kind of funny um i mean what i use it for at the moment i mostly update my location without having many things that use it um i have a a photo browser on my phone that shows me uh flickr photos based on my current location um that i use sometimes that that's just a downtime uh you know sit at the bus stop kind of thing yeah um that's called zerfer my previous group did that um i my wife has uh widgets on her uh Mac desktop. Mac. Yeah, that's that, what I use. <laughs> currently, they're actually they're only single user widgets, so mm-hmm. I've signed into them. So they're actually my widgets running on her desktop, so she sees my location. Right. Um, yeah, but that, that one's definitely cool because I, I added the, the weather one. And, like, right now, when I travel to San Francisco, I still have, like, the weather at home and the weather here. And, and now, like, with the, the Fire Eagle widget, I don't have to worry right, about it. Right, you don't it. have to have both. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind of cool. Josh and I were talking earlier about uh, about how this could be implemented, and, and one question I brought up was sort of um, you had mentioned the the automated way to tell uh, Fire Eagle that you know where you're at more or less, and I was thinking how you can prevent or how you're managing like sort of location staleness. Like I might be here now, but let's say I as a user right now in the current situation don't go and tell Fire Eagle that I've moved. I'm going somewhere else, so that you know it kind of sits me there, and if when you bring on new services that are picking up this location information, so let's say Josh is here, and and a new service comes on it's online and says, uh, you know, Josh Adams here, but I'm stale, like my location is stale. How how are you handling stuff like that and like clearing out where you're at now? Um, currently, we don't clear out where you are if we don't have a newer update. The the stale one sits there and it has a timestamp that's exposed through the API, so the calling application can, you know, know that Josh was actually there two weeks ago and may still be there. Um, but we don't do anything at the moment beyond saying how old, how stale that location is. Um, that actually brings up sort of another interesting problem. If you have multiple applications updating the user's location with, you know, perhaps overlapping or perhaps conflicting, uh, information, what do you do in that case? Um, and I think we have it fairly nicely solved for the case where one application maybe has only a very vague idea of where you are, like, say, based on cell tower, it knows roughly your zip code, maybe a little better than that, but not exactly where you are. And there might be another one that has GPS or has user to enter address, which is specific. In that case, if the the less precise location doesn't conflict with the, the precise one contained by it, 
it'll uh, continue to serve that precise one. It's only when you have conflicting ones, then you get in sort of a ping-pong situation where the last updating application wins. Right, so you sort of have a, a layer of this one is smarter, than, this application is smarter than others, so trust this one more, more so. We it's sort of a layered system in a sense. It is sort of a layered system, but currently it's not very smart. It's not, Fire Eagle doesn't learn that application A always provides more reliable app, uh, location than application B. We, we don't have that in there yet. That's you know something to think about. Another way to handle this is to not store only the current location, but to store you know, some bit of history and expose it all to the, I guess, given the user's privacy preferences, expose it all to the calling application and let it sort it out. Or to provide, uh, uh, let the, uh, the querying application provide hints as to what type of location they want. Do they want something that is very recent but perhaps somewhat vague or that's a, an exact point but perhaps a little bit older or perhaps from an unreliable source? Yeah, I think you could almost even add something to the API and say maybe the application that's sending the location could could tell you what kind of granularity it has. So, you know, for instance, a, a phone might say, you know, I, I don't have GPS, so um, I, I'm not very exact. It's just based on the TELS hours. Well, we can, uh, I mean, we can determine some of that based on the input they provided. They they provide the raw cell tower info to us. Oh, okay. Um, and so we, we translate that. Oh, okay. I didn't realize um, that. So some of that we can do on our own, but there is, I think there's an important distinction between actual user-entered input and machine-generated input. And some people, some developers have used, uh, you know, alternate geocoding services because uh, they have something that works better in Finland that knows Finnish neighborhood names better. So they're actually submitting a string, a text address latitude to us. Latitude. That they got, no, not the latitude and longitude. They look that up elsewhere and then submit us a string. Okay. Um, it might be nice if Fire Eagle knew that that was from an automated system rather than from user input, um, because I think those actually have very different meanings. If I tell Fire Eagle where I am, I tell it, I tell it exactly what I want it to think. Right. Um, whereas if an application tells Fire Eagle where I am, it may actually be a little off, a little off or maybe more precise than I, I wanted anybody to know. I mean, hopefully I controlled that with my privacy settings, but it would also be nice to be able to just say... Here's where I am now. Um, one more thought on that. Um, another privacy mechanism we have now is just a hide me. Don't tell anybody where I am now until I come back and unhide myself. Um, I think there are other interesting things to do on top of that. There's sort of automatic hiding. Um, hide me when I'm at home. Never tell anybody where my home is. Just I'm invisible when I'm within three blocks of home. Right. Um, or at nighttime, never tell anybody about where I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, between the hours of 9 to 5, publish my, my whereabouts. But after that, right. don't tell anyone. Um, so I, and another interesting thing that I really doubt we'll ever do, but it's allowing users to, to lie about where they are. Um, and a user can go in and, you know, put into a fake address. address. Right. Um, but it would be also interesting to set up automated rules for lying. Like, if it's between 9 and 5 and I'm not at the office, just go ahead and say I'm at the office. Nice. Um, I don't think we're ever going to do that, but it is a sort of an interesting well, I, privacy question. Yeah, no, I think users could do that themselves. I mean, I could very easily write a cron script that's, that's right. my address. So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> an automated cover-up. <laughs> So, uh, with the um, with the the iPhone firmware 2.0 coming out in like June, are you guys doing anything on the iPhone to have like an automated update service? Um, I 
I don't think we aren't internally, um, and I don't know what our uh, partners are doing. Um, there were some hacked iPhone early uh, Fire Eagle things. I, I don't know what plans are for things built on uh, on the actual SDK. Um, it does actually have pretty handy location APIs mm-hmm. and and pretty good Wi-Fi location. Um, so I'm hoping that yes, somebody will do it. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't um, know that it'll be us. I, I know with um, I think it's Navizon. Is that Navizon has yeah clients on actually a whole bunch of devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they they actually had like on the early hacked iPhone they had a client that worked right. Um, it was it was so so, but it, you know it did a decent job. So I'd be curious to see if they come out with an app. Yeah, they have a, a Nokia client too that I that I run. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Does that hook into Fire Eagle automatically? Yeah, then it, they do have a uh, Fire Eagle thing, and on the Fire Eagle site, I think they're one of the things featured in our gallery. Yeah. And the the install process is, you know, still a, a work in progress. The getting your Navizon client linked to Fire Eagle mm-hmm. is uh, all the mobile authorizing any mobile uh, device is a little bit of a hassle. Yeah. Um, but we're we're working on smoothing that. Can you talk about like sort of the development life cycle? Like you had said, you're you've been on the team for more than a year. Uh, yeah, maybe even before it was this team. I, I was working on a prototype version of it. Um, the original idea started uh, with my my old group, Yahoo Research Berkeley, and uh, a Yahoo Tech Dev team located in London. Um, and that was just basically, you know, if we knew where you were, what could we provide? And there was a a website that had, you know, uh, London Underground timings based on your location and a, a few simple things like that, like weather. And that expanded into a prototype that did have an API. Um, but that was a pretty uh, pretty quick and dirty prototype, and it, it worked but wasn't built to scale. Um, one of the nice things, looking back, is that it was sort of built on the standard Yahoo application stack Um PHP and the standard Yahoo login things. Um, the end, then we uh, eventually decided to do this in Ruby on Rails. Um, the Brickhouse team, who I am now joining or have joined, um, they, they made the Ruby on Rails call, I think in part just to try out new technology in Yahoo and make it a learning experience for them and, and for Yahoo. Um, but there, there were you know then some integration hassles with making a new set of tools work with existing Yahoo things. Typical growing pains, right? Yeah. Typical, typical change. What was, uh, do you remember what were some of the reasons why they chose Ruby? Ruby on Rails? Um, like some of the, like did you put up a, a right board and say pros and cons and here were the pros and here were the cons? Um, some of the pros were that they had a couple of very good uh, Rails developers. I think that was one of the main reasons. Uh, this is something they knew when we're eager to, uh, to introduce at Yahoo. Um, and now having worked with it, there are there are other advantages. It's actually a pretty nice framework for for a lot of reasons, um, especially the you know the user facing website, uh, the enforced uh, MVC model makes it much easier to to tweak around the website look and feel without hurting the internals, without hurting the functionality. Um, and actually, some of that applies to the API side as well. It's surprisingly easy to uh, generate XML versus JSON output. Right. Um, did uh, Did you guys do any sort of like uh, behavior-driven or test-driven development? 
uh, test driven. They're yeah, there's you know lots of functional integration tests. Um, I guess mostly to ensure that we don't introduce new bugs as we revise. Yeah. Um, though some of that is also that's also been a learning process for me, at least. That um, I mean, those are only as good as the as the test cases you you test for, and there are right. always are some things that just slip through your tests. So. Right. Yeah. So, are you guys using Test Unit or RSpec or? We're, we're Rails developers. <laughs> um, I think we use RSpec now, and we did use something else previously. Probably uh, test unit. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I actually saw this really cool plug-in that uh, it, it'll catch your anytime you get a 500 error, and it'll write an RSpec test for you that you can drop in oh, your code. That's kind of nice. And, yeah, and the other, you can fix it. <laughs> I think I've heard of such a thing, though. I've not yet used it, but I would love something that you know does a... Uh, tracks my movement through the site and can play that back as a test case. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually testing the UI where we've discovered a, a lot of holes. We can be pr- pretty sure that the models all do what they, they're supposed to do because we've got better tests for those. But occasionally, you know, you'll discover some controller issue with a new path through the site that you didn't anticipate. Yeah, um, I think um, you can maybe autograde or automate some of that via WebRat and... Uh, um, integration testing uh, with WebRat involved, so you, you might want to take a look at yeah, that. That's it's pretty cool. Can you can you talk to us at all about uh, some of the hurdles you've faced? You know, ha- having gone back and, and like from what you, it sounds like you've gone back to the drawing board a couple of times, constantly optimizing, evolving. You know, the product you're delivering more or less, which is now Fire Eagle, even where it's going in the future. Can you, can you kind of give us some preview to some of the hurdles you've had to jump over? Um, just the nature of location. Um, location is surprisingly difficult to work with. Um, in part because there's not Yahoo has some very nice internal geocoding services, um, but that's just a, a hard problem. Um, and based on our privacy model, it's sort of necessary for us to geocode. We need to know where you are to say that there's a town containing it if you've asked to only have your uh, town exposed. But what do you do then, say, if the person's in the the middle of the ocean and there is no town there, but they still didn't want their exact coordinates exposed? Um, yeah, if somebody's in an unnamed place, what do you do? The, just geo in general is hard to work with. Um, and... Uh, yeah, for instance, user-entered addresses are surprisingly ambiguous. If you have a, a big enough gazetteer of the world, it's surprising what strings, kind of seemingly random strings, will match some location. I enter something that I think is a zip code, and it also happens to match, you know, uh, some sort of call numbers from a Chinese airport. <laughs> You always get that. Did you mean? Right. Did you mean you get a list of like ten or fifteen addresses right. or something like that? No, I meant the one I told you. Right. Um, and some of that can be solved, though we don't we don't do enough of it now. Like based on your current location, chances are you're you're going to enter a new one close to where you last were. Like if I say I'm going to Dublin now, I probably mean Dublin, California, rather than Dublin, Ireland, since it's a forty-five minute drive rather than a nine-hour flight. Um, Geo in general has been has been tricky to work with. the The privacy issues are also uh, are also very important and something we've thought about a lot. I'm not sure I'd say exactly a hurdle since I, th- I think now we've we've solved it pretty well. 
um, but both how to explain to users how their location is being used to come up with a model that you can explain to users and can also implement relatively easily um, is a bit of a trick. We've also done some nice things on the data storage side, uh, separating location storage from users' identities so that we only can match the two when a user is logged in or they're matched based on the tokens given to the applications, but the applications only know an OAuth token. They don't know the user's identity. Um, so that that took some thought as well. So did you have to get, like, um, even though you're in Brickhouse, did you have to get, like, a legal team involved to, like, look over everything? Uh, Yahoo Legal and Yahoo Privacy have, yeah, have been involved. Um, though they were early on, you know, they were somewhat resistant to the idea, but I... I think they've now understood it and understand that it's it's relatively safe, um, and they're hmm. relatively happy with it until we uh, yeah try to stretch it in a, a new way. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about you know Brickhouse and how that internal process works. Like, how how does someone come up with an idea and, and then push it through and build out a team and pursue that? Um, that's actually something I probably can't comment on a huge amount. Um, and, yeah, the Fire Eagle idea was mostly external to Brickhouse and was ado- adopted by Brickhouse. Um, and I guess it started out with me or my previous team contacting a single developer within Brickhouse who got excited about it and sold it to the rest of the team and just happened to to work out well, caught them between projects, and they had enough resources to devote to it. Um, but in general, I think Brickhouse deals with a, a mix of internally generated ideas and ideas suggested from elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't comment on it. I'm not sure I really can even identify the process for, for choosing them. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, they, I mean, they seem to have done pretty well, actually, so far. Yeah. And I guess you, you also asked something about how... It, well, uh, Fire okay. is received within Yahoo and how much Yahoo Brickhouse really is. Right. Um, and it is very much Yahoo, though, somewhat free of the the inertia of a large company. We get to do our own things right. most so of the time. So it sounds like maybe Brickhouse is just a smaller team that develops an idea. What happens to the idea once it's kind of been developed? Like, you guys are probably at the point where you're going to kind of branch off into your own team with Fire Eagle? Um, we'll continue to nurse it on a while longer. I mean, it's still an invite-only beta. We'll at least take it through public and hopefully develop some applications on top of it ourselves. Um, but, yeah, then there is the idea that some of the developers will stay with Fire Eagle and perhaps hire additional staff um, or look for a home for it elsewhere within Yahoo. Um, and then the remaining Brickhouse team will staff up additionally and take on another project. Um, like the Pipes, Yahoo Pipes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was from Brickhouse? had sort of a similar life where a small team developed it then then found another yeah. home for it within Yahoo. Interesting. So if someone wants to play with the, the application and they don't have an invite yet, they can go to the site and put in their email address? Are you guys, like, actually approving those to get invites? Um, yes, though that's somewhat sporadic. It's not like there's an automated thing that will send you an invite, you know, five minutes later. Right. Um, that's sort of when somebody thinks to. Right. Um, 
it's probably better if you know somebody who has an invite, they can, or you can just find our uh, developer discussion group and post there, and somebody will probably get you an invite, an invite much quicker. Cool. Yeah, we we uh, stole a stack of the, <laughs> yeah. the cards, so we'll, we'll give out a number of invites to our to our listeners if they're interested. Very cool. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, Simon. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs>